This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to Episode 3 of a three-part series on Grace Enough, where guests have joined me to discuss false messages of purity culture and Christian sexual ethics. While each conversation can be listened to independently, listening to all three will develop a more robust view of the topics being discussed. So I encourage you to listen to episode 196 with Dean and Sarah, Is the Bible's Plan for Sexuality Outdated? And episode 197 with Rachel Joy Welcher, Talking Back to Purity Culture, both of which are linked in today's show notes. In addition to this series, I have also linked a few previous conversations that further answer questions, provide resources, and engage the mind regarding the topic of sex as Christians. Those include episode 119 with Sheila Gregoire, Exposing Lies Christians Believe About Sex. Episode 91 with Mary Flo Ridley, Let's Talk Birds and Bees. And episode 54 with Nick Stumbo, Discovering Freedom from Pornography. So be sure to check out the show notes, which can be found at graceenoughpodcast.com slash intimacy, or scroll down where you're currently listening. Today's conversation is with Dr. Julie Slattery. Julie is a clinical psychologist, author, and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. We discuss some of the unbalanced messages Christians received during 90s purity culture, the dangers of reducing intimacy down to a formula, some ways her understanding of God and sex have evolved over the years, and what covenant has to do with it. Good afternoon, Julie. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I'm excited to have this conversation as it is one um, that I'm actually doing a bit of a series on. And mm-hmm. so before, though, that we start talking about the impacts of purity culture and sexual relationships in Christian context, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about your faith journey. Uh, when did you begin walking with Jesus? And just a little bit of an overview. Sure. Yeah. My parents became followers of Jesus when I was just a baby. So I don't know anything other than growing up in a home where there was Bible study and church was important and the Bible was our our guidebook for living. So I became a Christian very young. And, you know, I think when you grow up in a Christian home, people will be like, yeah, I raised my hand like 40 different times to accept Christ. (laughs) But it is a journey developmentally of reaching different milestones where you have to decide, is this my parents' faith or is it my faith? And um, what does my faith actually look like? And so it's been just a long journey of since I was a little girl and learning what it is to give my life to God and learning what it is to serve him and, uh, and to grow in my faith. So yeah, I guess I tell people, I, I have kind of a boring testimony, but it's, it's been a, it's been a great walk with the Lord and just, again, continuing to learn to grow in intimacy with him and obedience. 
Well, and I think, though, that's one of the beautiful things is that when you do look at following Christ as a journey instead of a one-time decision, you actually do realize it's not boring at all. Because if you were to really sit here and share your whole journey, there would be a lot more details and and things that happen along the way, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember certain, like I said, milestones Mm -hmm. all the way from when I was a teenager to now where uh, my faith was shaken. Uh, and I had to really go deeper with what it meant to trust God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now in this ministry of talking about biblical sexuality, that's been a whole nother leg of the journey that has uh, drawn me closer to the heart of God and caused me to rely on him a lot more than I did 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, share a little bit of that story. Like, how did you end up on this path of deciding, like, you know what, I need to be sharing, talking, educating, writing about biblical sexuality? Yeah, I don't feel like I really decided. I more said yes. <laughs> it shows you. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, my background is I'm a clinical psychologist. And so from the time I was a young adult, I knew that I wanted to help people navigate life issues just from uh, a wisdom perspective and a God-honoring perspective. And so the the first couple decades of my work was more general both in the counseling realm as well as writing and speaking. It was more helping women navigate, you know, just issues of life or marriage mm-hmm. or parenting. And then uh, and then my husband and I moved out to Colorado Springs in 2008, and I worked for Focus on the Family for four years out there. And again, I was it was a bigger platform of learning to do radio and speak, but it was still very generalist. I was sort of the voice of the woman. And it was during that time that that God just took me on my own very deep journey of experiencing uh, intimacy with him and just learning to worship him and uh, a deeper surrender of my life to him. And he he just burdened my heart for the topic of sexuality through that. There's no other way to say it. Mm. It was about a, a nine month, 10 month journey of just really um, struggling with that topic that he was giving me. And he paved the way after that, just showed me, all right, here's the next step. And so I left focus on the family to start Authentic Intimacy in 2012. And I think I feel like a lot of people feel where it's like, if I knew what I was saying yes to back then, I probably wouldn't have the courage (laughs) to do it. So I'm thankful that God didn't show me the big picture of what we'd be talking about in 2022, but it's just been honestly, a joy Mm -hmm. to see what happens when we're willing to enter into these difficult spaces and just pursue God's heart. Mm. Well, and I have to ask, when you say that you struggled with God a little bit on, you know, stepping into this, do you mean you struggled because you were like, I don't really want to do it? Or was it this struggle of, wow, I'm beginning to see biblical sexuality as something different Mm -hmm. than maybe what I've been taught? Yeah, you know, I think it was probably in the beginning, neither of those two things. Mm. Uh, It was really more like at a heart level, feeling the pain of people Uh, Mm. and just almost feeling like God gave me a little glimpse of the pain that he carries for us. Mm. And I saw all these women who were struggling with different kinds of sexual brokenness or questions And we tend to categorize these questions. Mm -hmm. And I started to see how they all go together and how um, the body of Christ really hasn't provided a place 
um, for people to say these things out loud, Mm -hmm. to wrestle with where's God in the midst of my pain? Um, You know, like, does he care? Does he hear me? Does he see me? And so the wrestle was just more um, a gut level, just mourning and weeping with, Mm -hmm. uh, with the amount of unspoken pain around sexuality. So when God actually got me to the point of taking the step of leaving focus and stepping into this, I really couldn't say no. It was like, yeah, yeah, there was, I mean, focus on the family was my dream job, but this was a call and, Mm -hmm. uh, and the call is so much more powerful than a dream. And so, and then absolutely what you said began to happen over the last decade, I've yeah. really grown in my understanding of what biblical sexuality actually is. But when I said yes, I didn't understand it back then. Mm. There's a whole uh, podcast series in that statement right there. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, Whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, as someone who grew up in the 90s as a teenager, yet I didn't, I rarely was in Christian culture during that time because I I had said yes to Jesus, but I was certainly not walking with Jesus. I was definitely walking in the world. So I didn't have this experience with, you know, the promise ring and Mm -hmm. the I kiss dating goodbye and and the modesty culture of the 90s. but I still have many impacts of that from college because yeah. when you're friends with people in college who that was their entire life, it continues to get passed down. And so what are some of the negative impacts of that period that you see uh, maybe in the people that you counsel in the work that you do share a little bit of those with us? Yeah. Um, so I think big picture if we were to boil it down to the one piece that purity culture really got wrong, is it presented a very simplistic, legalistic view of sexuality. Uh, and that, if there's one sentence, that would be it. But then all these other dynamics kind of come out of that. So, for example, there was no room for the category of what does God say about um, about gender dysphoria mm-hmm. or same-sex attraction kind of issues. Like a kid that was struggling with that goes to youth group and hears same-sex, safe sex for marriage. Like what in the world is, what do I do? I don't even Mm. fit in that story. Uh, Another piece is there's no room for what happens if you've experienced sexual trauma. Uh, And 
you know, a kid again goes to youth group and hears sex is this really sacred thing. And if you have not saved your virginity, then, you know, God is mad at you sort of, and you're on this, you know, you're a ruined person in some ways. Yes, mm-hmm. God can redeem, but you can never get that back. And just the the pain, especially now that we know the percentage of of men and women who are sexually abused before the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And that we know that often sexual trauma leads to promiscuity. Um, and so just shame upon shame for individuals who are navigating that kind of road. Uh, it set us up for a very simplistic understanding of sex and marriage. And sex and marriage for most people is very difficult. It's uh, it's fraught with challenges and it doesn't look like either the movies presented or I guess dating goodbye presents it. And so there are a lot of people that were very disillusioned once they got married. And some have even walked away from their faith in God because they felt like they were sold a bill of goods that wasn't true. Um, you know, I, I can go on and on and I know none yeah. of this will, will surprise you because this, you probably, every time I mention something, you're like, yep, got a friend who went through that. Got yeah. And then the other thing is it gave no theology of sex for singles. So, well, that's what I, that's one of my big things. I'm like, why did, what about the people that are single or just yep. the overall view of purity is well beyond sex. Right. Oh yeah. And that's the other piece of it is, you know, really, I think the word purity is wrong mm. in this context, because when the Bible speaks of purity, it speaks of our relationship with him. It mm-hmm. speaks of uh, our purity because of the righteousness of Christ. It speaks of wanting to be pure in heart in terms of seeking God. Um, But purity isn't really, like, I don't think it's the right term. The Mm. term that we use at our ministry is sexual integrity. And so uh, it covers so much more than this kind of binary of either you're pure or you're impure. You are pure because of Jesus Christ if you've trusted in him. And now let's walk in a manner that's worthy of that. Let's work towards integrity. And so I think that whole concept of purity has thrown a lot of people off. And sometimes at events, I'll even ask, I say, no, I don't raise, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are sexually pure? And usually these are adults, you know? And so they're like, I don't know. Am I like, I'm married. I thought that wasn't even a question for me. Does it mean have I cheated on my spouse? And if we don't know what God's calling us to, we're going to be very confused in knowing what it looks like to walk that out. And so uh, you know, I think a framework of integrity is a whole lot more helpful. So when you say, though, sexual integrity to someone who is married, mm-hmm. what would be the definition of that for you? Like, how would you explain that to someone? Because, you know, my mind immediately is I don't have an affair, but I feel yeah. like there's a more robust understanding oh, yeah. of what you're saying. Yeah. So before I usually will talk about sexual integrity, I talk about the biblical narrative of sex which again, most of us don't know because it just, we never talked about it, but it's helping people understand that sex is really all about covenant and God created sex to be this celebration, the sealing of a covenant between two people and the marriage covenant. And so when a couple engages sexually within marriage, they are remembering their vows with their bodies and they're entering into, and I'll spell out like four different aspects of covenant love related to our sexuality, like faithfulness, intimate knowing, sacrificial giving, and passionate celebration. And so, you know, kind of paint that picture for them. But then 
integrity is all right, I'm supposed to glorify God with every part of my life. And so how do we how do I glorify God with my sex life within marriage? And yes, absolutely, we're going to keep sex within covenant. That's part of integrity. But also for the woman, for example, who experiences no sexual pleasure in mm. her marriage, that very well may not be her fault. But how do we walk towards sexual integrity of God created this to be pleasurable? He created it to be a passionate celebration. Mm. Or the couple that has sex out of duty twice a week because they're supposed to, but they're not navigating sexuality by growing into deeper intimacy with each other. They, mm. they just share their bodies, but they don't share anything else. I would say, okay, you lack integrity in that area. So what does it look like to, to grow in that aspect of sexuality? Uh, and so as I've studied this, I've seen that there's so much in scripture for us to um, use as teaching points and as, um, you know, again, not condemning or shaming, mm. but this, what, most married couples don't even know what they're supposed to be working toward. So how do we mature yeah. if we don't even know what the goal is? Yeah. I mean, and I think sometimes when it comes to sexuality, sexual intimacy in marriage, it is kind of that hush, hush. We just don't talk about it mm -hmm. with one another. Not only are we not really talking about it a lot in the church, but we're not talking about it a lot with each other. No. Do you, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why that is. Mm -hmm. Are there certain things that you would say lead to that lack of communication? Like, is it, you know, for me, I think there's some shame from my past that I don't want to dig into that. Um, I think it's an area I know I need to work on. So it's easier to not talk about it because right. that means I have to put in some hard work, yeah. but what are some other things and potentially are some of those fallouts from purity culture of people my age when they were teenagers? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing vulnerably some of those, some of those areas of your own life. I think part of it is it's not modeled for us. And yeah, that can be a fallout of purity culture where every single message you've heard from the church has been what not to do, uh, oh, or yeah. it's just been this kind of joking from the stage about how couples chase each other around. Like you just kind of look at it and you're like, <laughs> you know, I don't even know what to say to that. Like, that's just weird. Um, so and does that really happen? <laughs> no. And what's wrong with me? Or, you know, yes. even the stereotype that in every marriage, the man is the one who wants sex and the woman, mm. you know, like is obligated to fulfill this role. There's so many wrong messages about sex and we rarely hear what it actually sounds like for us to have God honoring edifying raw conversations around sexuality. So, you know, a lot of what I do in speaking, podcasting books is giving people language and permission to how do we even start saying this? How do we start identifying where we are on this journey? And then the other thing is sex is, and you kind of alluded to this, but it's a very vulnerable topic, mm -hmm. even for a husband and wife. That's right. And you kind of intuitively know there's there's landmines everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if I say the wrong thing, I could deeply wound my spouse. Even mm -hmm. saying, uh, we're not having sex as often as I'd like to. Your spouse can hear that as, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Am I a failure? Uh, when we talk about our bodies, 
you know, I, I think for women definitely, but also for men, like there can be some deep body shame of, yeah. um, my body isn't good enough for guys. There's a lot of performance issues around sex. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of teaching and equipping to do to help the average couple have the right kinds of conversations around sex. Mm. Well, and even before that, what are some ways that you encourage, let's say a youth pastor came to you mm -hmm. and wanted your counsel on this topic because they wanted to educate children, yeah. <laughs> teens. Yeah. I feel like teens are children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what happens. You get to a certain age and you're like, mm, anybody under the age of 25, those are children. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, what are what are some of the first things that you would say, hey, point this out, you know, share yeah. this. Don't just talk about modesty from the stage as being the cure to lust. Yeah. Yeah. So not. The, the first place I would challenge is that word educate. And so, you know, most most church leaders are looking for an educational model or they're oh. looking, frankly, for a problem solving model. Like how do we get rid of pornography? Um, mm. you know, how do we address all the questions around gender? Uh, and I think the first change we need to make is this is not about education. It's about discipleship oh, and yes. discipleship is a messy lifelong journey. There's really no goal other than becoming more like Christ. Uh, and education is part of discipleship, but if we look at what the culture is doing, they're discipling us in our sexuality. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every day you're getting subtle and overt messages of how you should think about your sexuality, what's okay, what's not okay. They're giving you role models uh, as examples mm -hmm. of how to live out any expression of sexuality. And so when you, as a, as a Christian family or church, just throw, you know, a two-day youth conference at a group of kids and think that's going to stick you know, discipleship will always win out over education. And so like the pastors that we're working with, we're really teaching them more of a discipleship model of this is relational, this is vulnerable, this is being the place where people can ask any question. Uh, it's teaching them how to think about their sexuality, not what to think about their sexuality. So it's not memorizing a list of rules. Uh, it's going deeper. What are the spiritual questions underneath our sexual issues? And uh, and obviously that's a lot harder to learn, but then, you know, hey, read this book and you're good, but that's mm. what ultimately makes a difference. Yeah. It's just that life on life, slow discipleship yeah. of the ways of God. Yeah. Like if you, if I talk to people who have had fundamental shifts in their sexuality and their sexual healing, they'll talk about who's discipled them. Mm. Uh, and it, you know, they'll talk about, all right, this person like walked with me through this, whether it's a counselor or a mentor, they'll talk about the resources that have discipled them because these are not quick fix issues. Um, you don't just stop looking at pornography because somebody tells no. you it's wrong. Uh, it's a journey. You don't mm -hmm. just start enjoying sex because you know, you're supposed to, uh, so th this is a long journey that, that the body of Christ is meant to be on with one another. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when I hear you say that, I hear so much, uh, so much more about discipleship, sexuality, whatever topic it is, right. That discipleship is really where it's at. Like, and, and that says as much to, it's not the sole responsibility of our pastors and our church leaders 
to be discipling youth, adults, whatever. And that's where counselors, mentors, right. uh, mature people of the faith come into play, right? Yeah, that's true in every aspect of discipleship. Right. It's the body's work. Mm-hmm. It's not a specialized ministry's work or your pastor's work. Like God has given us all different pieces of this, even testimonies. You know, like I yeah. feel like a big piece of it is we should regularly be having people sharing testimonies of what it is like to recover from an affair, mm. what it is like to be a 40-year-old single who wants to honor God with their sexuality, you know, mm. what the journey from sexual trauma has been like for them. And now it's like, okay, I can start to get hope and see where God is leading us. Mm. Yeah, that is so so powerful. Like none of it is um, wasted. We mm-hmm. We need all of it. Well, something that you write, you wrote, my understanding of God and sex has dramatically evolved over the decades. I can see that metamorphosis in the emphasis and nuances in what I wrote 20 years ago versus what I'm writing and teaching today. My journey has brought me closer to the heart of God. Will you share some of those changes with us and how that has brought you closer to the heart of God? Yeah, I would love to, you know, I think one big shift is not being afraid of any question. You know, like one of the reasons why I think a lot of us don't talk about sex is we're afraid that we're going to get asked a question that we don't know how to answer. And um, whether you're a parent or a Christian leader, like you're afraid of that question. And that was something that I really had to wrestle with early on in ministry was you know, do I trust that even if I don't know the answer, God is big enough and we're not going to uncover something under this rock that is going to undo the sovereignty of God. Mm. And so I think that's a big one for me is just not feeling when I write or teach, like I have to have the pretty bow on everything, but letting it be messy and uh, letting people be in a space of okay, I'm trusting, but I need to borrow your faith for a while because I don't know how this is going to end. We're uncomfortable with messy stories. Uh You know, we're uncomfortable with the couple that didn't recover from the betrayal or um, the one that did not get off pornography and chose to just walk away from their faith. This is real life. Um, And so when we let go of those formulas, when we let go of the need to know everything, All we're clinging to is who God is and his heart and his promises. And so that naturally is going to take us closer to his, his heart. It's just, you know, otherwise we're just looking again for the rules or the formula of how to make life work. So that would be one of them. And I think in a similar way, like really encouraging women in particular and couples, like it's not like, I'll use an example the whole obligation sex thing. I think early on in my writing, before I started this kind of ministry, some of my work to women and wives was about how important sex is to men. Mm -hmm. And yes, when we look at the biology of testosterone and oxytocin and vasopressin, it is. But the way I was teaching that or understanding it was, again, too simplistic that uh, it we shouldn't be approaching this topic like so many have taught me, like your husband needs sex. If you don't give it to him, he's going to be more prone to temptation. That's a fear-based message. 
Yeah. And it's really not working on intimacy. It's not calling your husband to grow. It's not, it's not acknowledging the fact that in many marriages, probably about 30%, the woman has the higher sex drive. It's mm. not giving attention to a woman's sexual needs, even if she doesn't have a high sex drive. And so I'm talking about those topics completely differently now than the way I talked about it. I'd say even a decade ago, I've had to go back and rewrite blogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I wrote that. Uh, you know, and God is gracious and he used it back then. But, you know, I just keep saying, I would say it differently now. So I let's write it differently. <laughs> well, and that is where it's like we want to extend grace to people just like we hope people extend grace to us because yes. I've even gone back and some of the things that I said, yep. you know, even four years ago on the show, I'm like, oh, I don't really feel that way now. Or yep. I see things differently due to experience so many things. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. You're right. And, and it makes you walk with humility because no doubt 10 years from now, if I'm still alive, I'll look back and say, oh man, I wouldn't say things that way anymore. That's right. And it does cause you to give grace to our brothers and sisters because none of this is easy mm. and we're not going to get everything right. And yeah. that's okay. It's not about us. It's really about what God wants to do. Well, as your understanding of God's word and just your depth of study, right? I mean, it really is. That's what's so beautiful about the word of God. You can read it over and over and over again throughout your lifetime and still learn um, from reading that. And so as your understanding of sexuality um, has grown, as you've read the word of God, what would you say to someone who looks at you and says, I don't want to stay sexually pure. That's so old school. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's, you know, you said earlier, you wouldn't even use that word, but yeah. the reality is that is the word that's being used. So what would you say? Like, that's so old school. Why yeah. would I ever stay pure? Sure. Yeah. I think the first thing I would do is really ask somebody about their relationship with God. Um, because what I've learned is what you believe about sex has to begin with what you believe about God. Mm. And, uh, and if your view of God is that he's old school and, oh, yeah. um, you know, we sort of need to reinvent him for this modern age, then the issue really isn't about whether you're going to save sex for marriage or stay pure. The issue is, all right, you don't know the living God. And, uh, and so I, I love to enter into those conversations by doing a lot more question asking and listening you know, tell me about your history with the church and about what you learned about sex. And again, uncovering those deep spiritual issues that manifest in sexual conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the person who would say, no, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, you know, but I just think the Bible's outdated. We got to, we got to get with it with the sexual revolution. I think one of the most helpful things to do with them is to teach them God's story of sex, not just the rules, but why did God create sex? And if you even asking people, why do you think God created sex? And most people can't give you a good solid answer. You know, they may say, well, that's how you make babies. Or yeah. they may say for pleasure. Uh, and all those things are aspects of sex, but really teaching them the link between sex and covenant mm -hmm. and that our covenant in marriage 
is supposed to be a reflection of Christ's covenant with his church and mm-hmm. God's covenant with his people. And throughout the Old Testament, there's all this sexual language that talks about God's covenant within Israel. And in the New Testament, there's all this wedding and bridal and union language talking about Christ's relationship with the church mm-hmm. and helping them see that sex is the sacred thing that God created to teach us about covenant. And when you say, I'm going to use this any way I want, first of all, you're desecrating something that God has made holy. But mm-hmm. second of all, you know, the scripture says this is going to come back on you. Uh, you know, First Corinthians chapter six, it says, when we sin sexually, first of all, we're joining Christ and the Holy Spirit with our sexual sin, which is sobering. But second of all, no other sin is outside your body. You're sinning against your own body. And we can look at statistics like the fact that over 50% of American adults will have a sexually transmitted disease in their lifetime. And we can look at the psychological and emotional impact of having partner after partner after partner. And this it all shows us that what the Bible says is true. So, you know, I would go on that long conversation with somebody and and really try to paint that picture for them. But really, where are they with God? That's the starting mm. point. I mean, there does have to be a certain element of like just acknowledgement that the God of the universe is present with us. And um, that that just leads to a greater, like a more robust understanding, right? Because I think we don't really get that. I know as a child, as a teen, I didn't get that. I know a lot of adults my age that don't get that. Like God is my quiet time. My prayer is very much this part of my day. And then my vocation is over here. You know what I mean? And so we separate God away from everything when he's in everything. Right. Yeah. And really, unless we ask those kinds of questions, we don't know why that person has come to that conclusion. You know, some people will just say to me, I've already had sex. So what's the point? Like I've Mm. lost my purity. Um, So and you're like, no, you know, or again, they'll talk about church hurt and the ways that they've learned about sex in a manner that has been hurtful for them or other people. So we don't know what words to use until we really know what the pain is or the objection is. Mm. Yeah. That's a good word for me, even as I work with like middle school girls, you know, I mean, they're on the cusp, Mm -hmm. right. Of the questions. And then there's a few that aren't on the cusp. They, they've are, they're full in, you know? Yeah. So -hmm. that's a good question. Well, I'm going to say a few common phrases we hear regarding sexual purity, particularly for those who are young. And I'd like for you to respond to them first by just sharing what pops in your head. Okay. And then, you know, sharing how you would address these phrases in your writing, speaking, whatever. And I realize uh, there's no pretty bow we get to put on these things. So the first one, dress modestly to prevent your brother from stumbling. Yeah, I would rephrase it as be a steward of the body God has given you. Mm. You know, that modesty is really a matter of stewardship. Uh, And part of stewardship is um, being aware of the people around us. But I think particularly what women need to hear and what they really resonate with is I get to be in charge of my own body. And, uh, you know, that's a message of our culture. And there's a good part of that message that it's not necessarily about what's around me. It's God has given me a body and I'm a steward of it. 
And so how can I be beautiful and how can I celebrate the body God has given me, the health he's given me, um, the stage of life I'm in, but how do I do it in a way that is good? And then the other piece of it I would say is, yes, we need to be aware of those around us, but we all have to own our own struggles. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great for us to be sensitive to the vulnerabilities of young men and women around us, but the message of it's your job to keep your brother from stumbling like that has been onerous for a lot of girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and so tell me this, when you say be a good steward of your body, what is it about dressing modestly versus dressing unmodestly (laughs) that makes you a good steward? Because I think some people would say, I'm not doing anything wrong to my body. I, I think it's recognizing that sexuality has a lot of power. And, you know, God has given women a lot of power in the arena of sexuality and everything is to be done to his glory. So there's Mm. a purpose for that power and that power needs to be unleashed in marriage. And we need to teach girls what that looks like, Um, but it's not to be unleashed before marriage. Um, And a lot of girls who feel powerless in every other area will say, well, this is the one way I can get attention. This is the one way I can feel loved. And so I think it's also helping them realize those lies that they're living by. Um, But like beauty is a wonderful thing. Beauty is to be displayed because it's a gift of God that everyone Mm -hmm. appreciates. But sexuality is a very powerful gift that unlike beauty, it has a very specific lane. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Another phrase, save sex for marriage. Yeah, I would uh, say honor God with your sexuality. So what does that look like? And, um, you know, absolutely helping people find that link of covenant that if you're having sex outside of a covenant, you lack integrity, mm-hmm. you know, but but it's not this all or nothing thing. It's all right. right. You belong to God. And if you do, how do we steward our sexuality in a way that glorifies him? Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's the thing, right? Like save sex for marriage is a true statement that yeah, we, that I want my children to do for right. sure. Um, so often it's just at this point in our culture, um, in the way, in the digital technology world, people want and need more. Those right. mantras, those quick sayings are not going to do anything. Like you said, it's the checklist of rules right. that really the only people who do those are the rule people pleasing people. Yeah. Not and, the Christians. Yeah. And when we, <laughs> uh, yes. And when we look at the research, actually teenagers are not having sex. Uh, they are delaying sex, uh, but they're not dating and they're not interacting with each other and they're not marriage minded. And so we have to say there's something really skewed about this picture because what they're they're doing instead is they view sex as a form of um, self-expression, not as a connection point with other people. Um, So they're doing a lot online with their sexuality, they're experimenting with different sexual identities. So we can't Mm. say, yeah, big win, we're saving sex for marriage when the reason people aren't having sex is because their understanding of sexuality is being so skewed. Uh, And so that's why it's so key to talk about, again, the idea of integrity and about 
how do I steward my sexuality? Because it certainly involves a lot more than just saving sex for marriage. Ah, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay. Here's another one we talked a little bit about, but you didn't go into it. Men are more sexual than women. I would say that is totally not true. I would say that in about 70% of situations, men have a higher felt sex drive than women. So in about 30% of situations, it's the opposite. But there's a difference between being sexual and having a high felt sex drive. Um, you know, like some of the people that are doing research on this are talking about, for example, the difference between initiating sexual desire and receptive sexual desire. And mm. so initiating desire is usually what we associate with uh, usually the man, but not always the person who is saying, hey, sex is important to me. Like I yeah. want to have sex. But the receptive desire is also a sexual desire where mm. uh, a lot of people feel like, hey, I'm not in the mood, but you could get me in the mood. Or once oh. we start engaging in sex, I actually enjoy it. Um, and so I think we need to have a much more nuanced conversation about what it means to be sexual. Mm. I like that. See, that's helpful mm -hmm. even for me. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, right? Good. Glad to hear it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last one. God created sex to expand the family. Yeah. I think that is one of the reasons why God created sex, but it's not the primary reason. Mm -hmm. So the primary reason we see in scripture that God created sex is he created it as a form of revelation. Um, he is revealing to us through our sexuality the nature of how he loves his covenant people. Mm. Um, and again, there's a whole lot deeper. We could go down that rabbit hole. Right. But, and having children being reproductive, you know, is, is an outflow of intimacy, just like being reproductive as a Christian is part of the outflow of intimacy with Jesus. When we abide in, in him, we're told we will bear fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, it, but it's the result. It's not the purpose. Yeah. Well, and that's really what you've been saying this whole time. When we go back to it, that turns it into a formula, right? right? Like mm -hmm. saying the sole purpose is to reproduce just turns it into a formula that some people are like, but I thought there was supposed to be pleasure involved. And what about right. the whole Song of Solomon thing? Like, yeah. where does that come into play? <laughs> exactly. And what about the couple that is infertile? That's um, right. You know, all the shame that they can feel if that's the oh. purpose of sexuality. Oh, such a good point. So as we begin to close out here, I do want you to speak to the person who is single and, you know, maybe in their 40s or 50s, um, the person who is widowed. Mm -hmm. What is the message regarding sexuality that you speak to those people who I know just experience so much heartache? Right, yeah. So first of all, just validating the fact that you are a sexual person, like yeah. you don't become sexual because you got married. Uh, Amen and, to that. And also acknowledging that whether you're single or married or divorced or widowed, there are struggles with your sexuality. Mm -hmm. So you just talk to the average married woman and she will be happy to tell you how she has struggled in this area as a married woman. Yeah. And so I think kind of level setting those things is a good starting place, but then also encouraging the single, the single person that your set, your sexuality is still a form of revelation mm. that again, God created marriage and sexuality as a temporary 
earthly picture so that we can know what it is to long for ultimate union with Christ. Mm. And so when we look at the church, the state of the church today, we are not yet with our beloved. And so like Paul would say, you know, the whole earth is groaning with like labor pains of when will we see him face to face? Mm -hmm. And so the single person, the lonely person is really almost that living metaphor of I was made for an intimacy that I don't yet have. And that message needs to be, uh, again, voiced. Uh, It needs to be honored. You know, I think we've done a poor job in the Western church of honoring the journey of the lifelong single Christian. Yeah. Uh, And that's not biblical. Uh, And so, and my other encouragement would be that you need intimacy and intimacy is not just marriage. It's not just sexuality. Like you were made to have intimate relationships within Mm -hmm. the family of God and a thriving person, whether you're single or married has to have rich, intimate relationships. Yeah. Well, and I would even go on there to say, and sometimes we want those to just present themselves and instead sometimes we have to press in and be the one to go and find um, those families that, Mm -hmm. you know, may need your help or those friendships. And that's not an, that's not an easy thing because you feel like an outsider. Right. Yeah. And it's never something that just materializes again, whether you're single or married, there are an awful lot of lonely married people. Uh, oh, it does require right? it does require intentionality. It requires to view church as more than just a place you go to listen to a sermon. Mm. Um, you know, again, our Western our Western understanding of church is so superficial compared to what God designed it to be. Uh, and so, we do need to kind of buck some of those cultural trends and really work on building true relationship. Mm. It is so true. Well, Julie, I thank you so much for the work that you are doing, that you did say yes, instead of just continuously going, no, God, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. Um, Where can people connect with you? You have a variety of books available that I'm sure are all available on Amazon. But if people want to connect with you, where can they best do that? Yeah, I would say two places. First of all, our website is authenticintimacy.com and you can find lots of resources there. The second place would be um, since people are listening on a podcast, they like podcasts. So uh, so we have a podcast called Java with Julie, where we have conversations once a week about issues around intimacy and sexuality. So that's a great way to plug in. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. To be honest, in hindsight, I would have made this a five-part series because the feedback I've received tells me how needed it has been. That is why I want to encourage you again to listen to all three episodes, plus episode 119 with Sheila Gregoire, Exposing Lies Christians Believe About Sex, episode 91 with Mary Flo Ridley. Let's Talk Birds and Bees, and episode 54 with Nick Stumbo, Discovering Freedom from Pornography. All of these are linked in the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com slash intimacy, or in the notes on your listening app. Just scroll down and tap the link you're ready to listen to now. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.